So good to see everyone back tonight. So thankful you've chosen to be with us. I guess we're thankful that you're here. As you know, on Sunday nights, what we've been doing is the same thing, basically, that we've been doing on Sunday morning, except a little bit different. In other words, Sunday morning, we've been looking at questions on the, uh, from the Word of God, questions that are actually asked. Sunday night, we're still looking at questions, but questions we sometimes ask as Christians. And so that's what we want to continue to do tonight. We have one, as you can see on the screen tonight. How can I tell when I am wrong? Now, before we address that question, I want us to go back and think about some things. If we were to go back to the book of Exodus, chapter number 20, we would find what we know as the Ten Commandments that are being delivered. And in Exodus chapter 20, those are delivered at the beginning of the, uh, the time of the children of Israel. When they come out of Egypt, they come to Mount Sinai, God gives them the law. And, and so he, he brings that down, Moses brings that down and delivers it to them. Now we know all of the things that take place in regard to them. They go and spy out the land, but they are failures in, in believing in God that he would uh, deliver it to them. And so we have the wandering in the wilderness for 40 years. And near the end of that wandering, near the time that they're about to go in and to capture the land... God uh, has Moses to restate those or, uh, or to read those laws again to the children of Israel. And so we find that in the book of Deuteronomy chapter number 5. Same, same words, we just find one at the beginning of their time as they come out of Egyptian bondage and the second one before they actually go in and partake or take the, the promised land. Uh, but after having stated that, Moses keeps on talking, if you will, and we have it recorded for us in the book of Deuteronomy. And so if you have your Bible, you may look tonight at Deuteronomy chapter number 6 and look at verse number 18. Deuteronomy chapter 6 at verse number 18, after saying a number of things in chapter 6, summing up some things about um, obedience and what it means and all of those kinds of things, Moses says this, and you shall do what is right... In the, uh, and good in the sight of the Lord, that it may go well with you, and that you may go in and take possession of the good land that the Lord swore to give to your fathers. Now focus on the first part of that. You shall do what is right and good. You shall do what is right and good. Now, now wouldn't you like to know, before you did something wrong, what was right and what is good. Wouldn't you like to have some kind of device that would tell you whether the thing that you're about to do, the thought that you're about to have, all of the things that, uh, that, that go in making up our life, wouldn't you like to know what was right and good before you actually did those things? Now, we could think about Pinocchio. Everybody knows Pinocchio. Pinocchio, when he told a lie, his nose grew. And, and so we think about that cartoon and, and we put it up there. The only thing about Pinocchio was he didn't, he, his nose didn't grow until after he had done it. And that's the way we are sometimes. We, we don't think about what we've done until we've actually done it. And so wouldn't it be good to know what is good and what is right before we actually did that. Now, I want us to think about again tonight the fact that there are some false standards that people use in order to determine what is good and what is right. Okay? 
For example, there is what we have termed, uh, I didn't come up with this name, but it's one of the things that when you read about uh, good and right things that, that commentators and others talk about, there's the idea of that instinctive desire that people have. In other words, God created mankind. And we know that God did that. We'll go back to the book of Genesis, chapter 1, chapter 2. And we also know that when God created man, and when he created everything, the Bible says that God looked at it and saw that it was good, except for when he created man, he said it is, he is very good. And so all of the things that God created man created within man, all of the desires, all of the things that, that he can think, all, all that he has within him that he has made in the image of God, all of those things are, are what some have determined and, and called the, the instinctive desire. And so when we exercise those desires, whatever they may be, somebody said, well, it has to be good because God created man good. Well, in a sense, they are good, and if we think about it in the right way and we practice them in the way that God designed them to be practiced, then they are good. For example, God gave us the idea or, or the desire, if you will, to, uh, of a sexual desire. But he also gave us the place where it is to be fulfilled. And mankind has defiled that and gone and, and you know, outside the bonds of marriage and yet, it is still a good thing when it's put in the right uh, place. And so, uh, we can't just use that. And here's why. You know, even though folks thought and wrote about, especially in the 19th century and so forth, even though poets and others uh, talked about man, and, and in particular in that, that uh, time, that, that, that man was basically good and that everything that he would be inclined to do would produce good fruits and a good life, even though we even today still sometimes have that concept, uh, it, it doesn't always follow through. Man may have con uh, conceived some good things and, and may have done some good things. I was talking before uh, we started tonight, Brother Bruce, out in the foyer, and we were talking about air conditioners. I'm glad somebody invented an air conditioner. Uh, ours went out earlier this week, this past week, and so there were a few days it was hot. And, and we got it cooled off at the house now, and we're soaking up that cool air, you know, now. But, but I'm glad somebody did that. That's a good thing. Cars, they're good things, aren't they? You know, you don't have to ride a horse to church or, uh, or you don't have to walk. You, you have a car. We have those kinds of things and, and they're good. But morally speaking, it hasn't always worked out as well as it should. Man doesn't always do because of his, in, his instinctive desire and uh, based on his instinctive desire, he doesn't always do what's good and what's right in the moral realm. Now turn to the book of Romans, chapter number 7, Romans chapter 7, and let's do a little bit of reading together there, beginning in verse number 18. Romans chapter 7, verse number 18. The Apostle Paul writes these words. He says, For I know that nothing good dwells in me that is in my flesh, for I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. Now, 
remember what we read back there in the book of Deuteronomy? Moses charged the children of Israel to do what is right and what is good. And Paul says, you know, I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. For I do not do the good uh, that I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. Now, if I do what, is not, uh, what I do not want, it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. So I find it to be a law that when I want to do right, evil lies uh, close at hand. For I delight in the law of God in my inner being, but I see in my members another law waging war against the law of my mind and making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Now let's break that down in country boy terms so that we can understand it. Paul says, I want to do what's right. Isn't that what Moses said we're to do? But I'll end up doing what's not right. I end up doing what's not good. Even though that's my desire, that's what I want, I sometimes fail. I make mistakes. I do those things that are wrong. And the reason I do that is I allow sin to continue to be my master. I allow sin to continue to, to control my mind. And, and, and we can't do that. Paul talks about, Paul's point is this, he has someone, he asked the question at the end of our reading, who's going to deliver him? And uh, he had someone, and it was Christ, and Christ delivers us through his mercy and through his grace and through the blood that he shed for us. But, <coughs> but the point is this, we can't always depend on what we think or what we want in our life to determine what is right and what is good. And so our instinctive desires, they're, they're a false standard for us. But there's also one that we use probably even more than that. And that's the old standard of everybody else is doing it. Now, all the other kids at school, they're doing it. All the other folks at work, they're doing it. All the other retired people, they're doing it. All You know, we just use that all the way through our life. Everybody else is doing it. You know, if one is governed solely by the shifting customs of the land and uh, the, the times, uh, then, then that person has, doesn't have a whole lot of stability to hold on to. What if... God's physical laws, what if they were constantly subject to change? For example, you know, many of you take drugs. And I'm not saying you're drug addicts. I'm just saying you go to the doctor and they prescribe you a drug in order to control blood pressure or some other disease or, or, or maybe even to cure an earache or sore throat or something like that. Well, some chemist has to work on those drugs in order to get the drugs formulated and put together in the right way. And much of that is based on God's physical laws. Uh, the way things react within the body, the, uh, the way that the chemicals react in certain situations and so forth. Well, what if God's physical laws of chemistry, what if they were constantly in flux? What if they constantly changed? And you got some medicine today that would cure your ills, but that medicine tomorrow, because God's physical laws have changed, becomes poison to you. We wouldn't want that. 
What about, you know, thinking about the law of aerodynamics? What if they were constantly changing? Now, when we talk about the law of aerodynamics, we're talking about what makes a plane fly, okay? Now, now consider this. Suppose that you take off in an airplane and, and God's aerodynamics cause that, you know, his laws of aerodynamics cause you to fly, but they were to change, those laws of aerodynamics were to change in mid-flight. And, and, and if they changed... What would cause you to, the air going over the wings and under the wings that would cause you to go up? What if that changed and it now causes you to go straight down? What if, what if it changed? You know, we, we depend on God's stability in His physical laws. And, and just because everybody else does something does not mean that God's moral laws have changed. Uh, they've always been constant, like his physical laws. God's moral laws don't change, and they are the stable foundation on which we can live and make a choice of what is good and what is right. And, and so, let's just move on tonight and think about some of those moral standards that God has. What are some of the things that are, not, uh, that are, that are good standards for us to use? Well... There is such a thing as a moral standard, and that is symbolized by even going back and reading the Ten Commandments in the Old Testament. In Exodus chapter 20, verses 13 through 17, I've already mentioned Exodus chapter 20 tonight, but it's there we read passages such as, and I'm reading from the English Standard Version, you shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife or his male servant or his female servant or his ox or his donkey or anything that is your neighbor's. All the way back there in the time of Moses, God had some standards. He, he had these commandments, these moral laws, if you will, that man was to live by. And, and, and we've already stated tonight that what we read in the book of Deuteronomy chapter 6, we read after Moses had just re uh, restated those uh, to the people. And, and so tonight we should never be tempted to think that the moral standards of the, uh, of the Ten Commandment law are, are not relevant to us today uh, or that we've outgrown such an ancient code. And somebody looks at me and says, Well, preacher, I, I, thought, I thought the Old Testament law was taken out of the way. And you'd be right, because we can look at second, uh, or, or Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 15, and Paul writes about the abolishing of the law of commandments expressed in ordinances, uh, that he might create in himself one new man. Colossians chapter 2 verse 14, by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands, this he set aside, nailing it to the cross, the context of both of those passages talking about the Old Testament law. But what about Romans chapter 13, verses 8 through 10? In Romans 13, verses 8, to, 8 through 10, Paul is talking to Christians. And Paul is saying to Christians, he said, here is your standard. Here's what you need to do. Number one, he started out in verse number 8, Owe no one anything except to love each other. For one who loves another has fulfilled the law. For... He goes on, the commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet, and any, any other commandment are summed up in this, 
You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no wrong to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfilling of the law. Do you remember on one occasion when Jesus asked, was asked, what is the great commandment? What's the greatest one? And Jesus said, you're to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and depending upon which place you're reading that, with all your mind and with all your strength. And then Jesus said in Matthew chapter 22, and the second is likened to it. And what was it? Love your neighbor as yourself. Well, Paul tells us, he says, in order to love our neighbor, then, then there has to be some meaning behind that. There, there, has to, there has to be some rules that, that, that uh, uh, point us in the right direction of loving our neighbor. You don't commit adultery with your neighbor's wife. You don't murder your neighbor. You don't steal from your neighbor. You don't lie to your neighbor. All of those things, those moral things that God put into effect in morality back in the Old Testament are still morality today. And so we have a moral standard that has been given. And as we've already stated tonight, that doesn't change. That's constant. You know, there were people in the Old Testament who committed adultery and fornication. King David was one of them. We read about an occasion when he saw this woman up on the housetop who was bathing. We know that he had her brought into his house. We know that he had a relationship with her. We know that she conceived. We know that King David murdered her husband or at least uh, had him put out in the field and, and had his army withdraw away from him and so that he would be killed. And so, in essence, it was murder. Was it wrong for King David to do what he did? Yes. Well, is it still wrong today for, for folks to do something like that? Yes. And unfortunately, so many, especially our young folks, those who are of college age and high school age, they seem to have missed that point. They seem to have missed it because, you know, this fornication, and we, man, we've given it so many different names. You know, we've changed the we've we've changed the way we speak. You, you know, but it's still fornication. It's still adultery. It's still sin, and, and it was wrong then, and it's wrong now. There are such things as moral standards, and we must go by them. Number two tonight, there is also somewhat of an inner perception of right and wrong. Some people may have called that simply that little voice within. You know, it, it's sort of whispering in my, knee, my ear that, that it's either good or it's bad. The conscience, as we sometimes call it, does play a role in uh, knowing the difference between right and wrong. Sometimes when you've done the right thing, your conscience, it lets you know that you've done the right thing. How does it let you know? You feel good about yourself because you've done the right thing. I saw a video of uh, three young people who were ringing the doorbell of uh, someone's home. And, uh, you know, I think it was one of these, like, ring doorbells where, you, where they can talk and everything. But, but there was a message that was left. And uh, uh, I probably wouldn't do it this way if I had one of those. Uh, we're not able to come to the door right now, you know, kind of things. That, that sort of tells folks you may not be there. But uh, anyway, it said something to them. And these three young folks, they... 
they, they spoke back to the ring and they said, we found your wallet outside your car in your driveway as they were passing by and we wanted to give it back to you before someone else picked it up. And you can see them on the video, they're talking about where to put it so nobody can see it, nobody will find it. And they lay it to the side. Well, the story goes on, there was $700 in that, in that wallet. And they didn't take anything out of it. They did what was right. You know what? They could go home that night feel good about it. But at the same time, if they had taken that $700 out, or 500 of the 700 or, or, or 200 or even 100 of the $700, I would hope they'd go home and that conscience would still tell them something that you did what was wrong. You did not do good. And you need, to, you need to change it. Sometimes you'll hear folks uh, who, who do things that are wrong and they just can't sleep. They can't, they, they can't rest. And the Bible talks about how David had, um, after his sin, how he swam in the tears, if you will, at night. And our conscience does sometimes play a role. But folks, the conscience is not always a safe guide. It's not always a safe guide. Look at your Bible, Acts chapter 23 at verse number 1. Acts chapter 23, verse 1. The Bible talking about Paul says, And looking intently at the council, Paul said, Brothers, I have lived my life before God in all good conscience up to this day. Paul says, Everything I've done in the past, I had a good conscience about it. My conscience didn't tell me I was doing what was wrong. Matter of fact, my conscience was telling me, Paul, you're doing what's right. Even when Paul was dragging folks out of, out of their own home and, and punishing them, even when Paul stood holding the garments of the people who were stoning Stephen to death, Paul says, my conscience was good. It was telling me, you're okay, Paul. Everything's good and everything's right. Paul said in 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 13, about his past life, he says, Though formerly I was a blasphemer, persecutor, and insolent opponent, but I received mercy because I had acted ignorantly in unbelief. Paul recognized the things that he did in his former life as a persecutor of Christians. It was wrong. But he said, at that time, I thought I was doing what God wanted me to do. I thought I was defending the Jewish faith, the Old Testament law. And I thought those Christians, they were, they were wrong, and I was right. Paul says, my conscience was not my guide. My conscience was what I needed, uh, not what I needed to go by. You know, there's more on the inside of man than just a conscience, right? What are you talking about? In the book of Matthew chapter 5, beginning at verse 20... Jesus says, I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and the Pharisees, you will never see the kingdom or enter the kingdom of heaven. You've heard that it was said to, uh, to those of old, you shall not murder, and whoever murders will be liable to judgment. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother. There's an emotion, isn't it? There's more on the inside of man than just the, the conscience part. There's the heart, if you will. Uh, we began not only to be angry, but we, we can, Paul, uh, Jesus goes on and says, we can, uh, we can uh, call our brother a fool. 
We can hate our brother, John would say in the book of First John. Jesus goes on and talks about, we've been talking about, mentioned this tonight, you know, fornication and adultery and so forth. But Jesus said, you've heard, you've been taught, and even that Old Testament law taught them not to be fornicators or adulterers. But Jesus said, whoever looks on a woman to lust after her in his heart, he's already committed adultery or fornication with her. There's more on the inside than just the conscience. There's the heart. Sometimes that old heart and the conscience as well, sometimes they get hardened. They get seared over. Sometimes a heart, you know, is just not right. And we just because... A heart, even, even if we consider it to be right, just because the heart is right, it does not automatically make the deed right. I can be sincerely wrong. Isn't that the truth? Let me illustrate. <clears throat> Anybody ever had an ingrown toenail? Anybody in here? You don't have to raise your hand. Or maybe a heel spur. You know, sometimes you hear people talking about a heel spur or ingrown toenail. You know what? Those are very pesky things, aren't they? It makes your toe sore, makes your heel sore, <clears throat> hard to walk. Suppose you visit a doctor, and, and that doctor tells you, he said, I have a cure for both ingrown toenails and heel spurs. You know, if you've ever had one, would you be, would you be interested in that? You know, uh, if you've ever suffered one, you... You, you, you probably would. He, he said it's guaranteed. It's guaranteed to work 100% of the time. Man, my old toe's hurting, so now I'm interested in it, you know. And so and he says, uh, lay your leg up here on this table while I go get my saw. Did he believe he could cure your ingrown toenail and your uh, heel spur by cutting off your foot? Yes. He may have sincerely believed it, and he'd be right. It's 100% of the time. You won't have another ingrown toenail, and you won't have a heel spur, because you won't have a toe, and you won't have a heel. But it didn't make it right. didn't make it the right thing, did it? And so just because your heart's right, the doctor wanted to, to cure you, and just because he felt like he was doing right, did not necessarily make it right. No impure motive, though, can ever produce a pure deed. We have to have that inner perception of right and wrong, and it has to be working properly, and it has to be working in the right context, the context of truth, before it ever is what we need it to be. But then, let's go to the next one. There's what's been called the law of universality. The law of universality. It's a universal thing. Uh, let me give you a, a law of universality in the physical realm. The law of gravity. The law of gravity can be depended on no matter where you are on earth, right? If you're on top of a building and you fall off or you jump off, which direction are you going? Are you going down, aren't you, because of the law of gravity? And, and, and again, it doesn't make any difference if you're in... The United States, or you're in China, or Russia, or some third world country. It is the same. It's the ev same everywhere. But the same is true when it comes to right and wrong. You know, we might even think about it in these terms. We might think about it in the idea, the concept, 
of it being, if it's right for me, then it has to be right for everybody. Or, or conversely, we might say, if it's wrong for me, then it would be wrong for everybody. And, and that would be what we're talking about when we're talking about the law of universality. But it doesn't work this way. This way. What? It doesn't work by saying, I can steal your car, but you better not steal mine. That's not universality, is it? That's one standard for me and another standard for someone else. It doesn't work when I say, I can cheat with your spouse, but you better not cheat with my spouse. That's two separate standards. There's nothing universal about that. I can lie to you, but you better not lie to me. I can shoot and kill your children, but you better not kill mine. You know, we could go on and on and on. But there is that law of universality. And so it sort of goes back to what Jesus said about the idea of doing good to those who are around you by, by whatever you would that men should do to you, do you also to them, Matthew chapter 7 at verse number 12. And so we need to consider just, just some logic, if you will, when it comes to determining what is right and what is good. And then last of all tonight, let's talk about for just a few minutes the law or the motive of love. The motive of love. When we talk about the motive of love, there's certainly some things that are done out of love that can hurt. What do you mean by that? Suppose you have a surgeon who has to remove the leg or the arm of a little child. I don't know if you've been reading, you know, keeping up with news and stuff, but there seems to be, for some reason or another, an inordinate amount of people contracting this uh, flesh-eating virus. They go to the beach... I read about one, I think it was in Maryland and some in, uh, in some places down in the south and different places. Uh, but people are contracting this flesh-eating uh, bacteria or virus or whatever it is. And, and it begins to work on the, the, the body. I mean, it begins to immediately to start breaking it down. Okay? And, and there have been people who have died. I mean, it literally killed them, you know. Uh, but say a little child gets it on a leg. And the only way to save that child, antibodies can't do it, it's gotten such a hold, is to amputate. Do you do that because you hate the child or because you love him? Do, do you want to see the child have to suffer the amputation of an arm for the rest of his or her life? No, you don't want to see that. But you'd rather see the child alive. You do it out of love. Sometimes we do things out of love that, that hurt. Sometimes speaking the truth in love hurts. Jesus spoke the truth to the hypocritical Pharisees. If you go back and you read Matthew and uh, Mark and Luke in particular, when Jesus speaks to some of the Pharisees, he tells them the truth every time. Does Jesus love them? Absolutely. You know why? He loved them enough. I know because he came down even to save those folks. Even to save them. Some of them believed in him and became 
uh, Christians. Some of them never would. But Jesus came to save them just as he came to save everyone. But he told them the truth about their actions. In 1 Corinthians chapter 16, at verse 14, we need always to remember this in our life. And it will help us. We're talking tonight about the difference between good and right. How do I know when I'm wrong? Well, Paul says, let all that you do be done in love. Let all that you do be done in love. I can know for certain that if I have a different motive than love, whatever it is that I'm doing is wrong. I can understand that 100% of the time. I can understand that if I'm doing something that is hurtful, uh, that I know that I'm doing it in order to hurt another person, it is wrong because I'm not doing it for the right motive that Paul tells us, let all that you do. When Paul said, let all that you do be done out of love, could somebody please tell me what he left out? Is there any action, any thought, any deed that we might do that he left out? You know, when I think about that word all, A-L-L, it's a short word. It's one syllable. And, you know, even the most simple-minded person can understand most of the one-syllable words that we have in the English language. And there's no one here tonight that would misunderstand that word all We know what it means. Paul said, let all that you do be done out of... What did he... What what exception did he give? That's a trick question. Paul didn't give an exception. And so just because I don't like somebody, based on skin color, or based on where they live, or or based on uh, uh, how much money they got, or whatever it is, just because I don't like them, doesn't mean that I can change my way of doing things toward them. Let all that you do be done in love. That makes things doing... If I do something to hurt another person, it's wrong. Now... Let's distinguish just one more time here before we quit. There is a difference sometimes in punishing, or there's always a difference, I guess you would say. There's a difference in punishing a child and child abuse, right? There's a difference in punishing a child and child abuse. Old Testament talks about uh, using the rod of correction and so forth. You know, it's not the purpose of our lesson tonight to deal with that in detail, but, but correcting our children. We do that out of love. Not always pleasant, but just because we spank them upon occasion doesn't mean that we've abused them. It means that we taught them to stay out of the highway. It means that we taught them not to be a liar. It means that we taught them uh, to, to not be a thief. You know, we could go all the way down the Uh, a whole list of things. Just because we sometimes have to do things like that doesn't mean that we don't still have the motive of love behind us. But we must have it. If we're going to determine what's right and what's good, we've got to measure it 
by that standard. Now, there are many other things I'm sure that we could say in regard to this tonight. But the thing about it is, even knowing these few things that we've talked about, we sometimes still make imperfect decisions, don't we? <coughs> we sometimes are not good at that. We make the wrong one. And God knew that. God knew that before He ever created Adam and Eve, that His creation would make wrong decisions. Now, how do I know that? Because God planned before He ever created the earth how to save the earth because we made bad decisions. He, back in eternity, before He ever spoke and the earth came into existence, He knew that He would one day have to send His Son to die for mankind and to shed the blood of His Son so that it could wash away the sins of His people. God knew that. He still created us, and He followed through with what He did. And so today, when we make wrong decisions, when we don't think about what's right and what's good before we do it, and we sometimes end up doing what's wrong and what's bad, we have hope still. Hope found in Jesus Christ. Through His grace, through His mercy, through His blood, we do have hope. That's why we have the blood of Christ. Because we sometimes make those wrong decisions. It's our job, it's our duty as Christians to do what is good and what is right. Uh, that's what we, what we seek to do every day and to get better at it every day. But when we make mistakes, aren't we thankful that we have a God of the second chance who has made it possible for us to get forgiveness when we don't make the right decision and the right choice. It may be tonight that you've made some wrong choices as a Christian and that you need some forgiveness from God. It may be that you need to respond in a public way tonight. We'd love to pray with you. It may be tonight that you need to make the decision to become a Christian and put your Lord on in baptism. If that is the case with you tonight, why don't you come right now as we stand?